Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Fluid Fan Podcast, brought to you by Sports Innovation Lab. It's my company. I'm the CEO, co-founded with Josh Walker at Sports Innovation Lab. We have a mission to help our clients in the broader industry create breakthrough fan experiences through tech. You got to know your fan. You got to know how to use the right technology to connect to those fans. We're experts at that. So pleased to have this podcast to share stories, talk to interesting people, and uh, and really dive deep on innovation. This year, we're focusing on how data will allow you to truly understand who your fan is, how best to serve them. We realized the number one question we got asked over the last four plus years was, I don't know who my fan is. Can you help me figure it out? I can't even think about investing in tech until I know what experience I want to build. So we're on a mission to do that. Today's show is, we're going to be talking about one of our latest initiatives to service the fan, to understand the fan through data. It's called the Fan Project. So we've got two amazing athletes, female athletes actually, that are going to come on the show, talk about their perspective as athletes, but want to make sure the broader context of the Fan Project first is brought to you, my listener. We really believe there's an unmeasured, pent-up demand for women's sports. Full stop. Supply and the demand curve do not meet at the right spot. We believe there's a very low amount of supply because there's a perception with current metrics that there's low demand. We don't measure it correctly. No one knows who their fan is. We don't know fans. We can't measure in one complete picture these fluid fans that are behaving differently. They're not just watching on linear, which is how we measure fandom today. Do they show up at the game and buy a ticket? Or do they watch at home? No, fandom comes in all shapes and sizes, as we've talked about on this podcast. Food fandom means that fans are behaving very differently. And our job at Sports Innovation Lab is to actually measure that behavior. So the fan project is about trying to measure that behavior, a new way to look at fandom and measure it, quantify it, and then apply it to the women's industry. Because again, you'll hear on this show, I obviously was a four-time Olympian. I love sports, but I really love women's sports too. I don't think we get our due course. I think there's a lot of avid fans that want more. So we're going to think that through. We have a a bunch of partners on board today, National Girls and Women's in Sports Day. We're launching this uh, with the NWSL, WNBA, WWE, done a ton with their divas. UFC, clearly they've invested in their women's side, LPGA. The new league athletes unlimited that we helped to create last summer that has three women's sports teams in their portfolio now. So we're on a mission to build a new way to look at fans, apply that to women's sports and write a report, a research report with all these partners and influencers about the business case for women's sports. So that's what we're going to talk about today. If you want to learn more about the project, get involved. If you're a leader out there, you're like, yep, I hear you. I want to support this. I want to go deep. I do believe we're missing out on a massive opportunity and I need more data to support additional investment in women's sports. Go to thefanproject.co, thefanproject.co. Check it out. Learn more. Ping us if you want to get involved. Would love to, again, bring in more partners, more supporters, you know, it takes a team, as they say, I was a team athlete. We want the whole industry again, not with it's the right thing to do, but it's good for your business. That's what we're building. That's our next report. So launching it today, the fan project. So today's podcast, again, with that being said, I wanted to hear from a couple of athletes, female athletes that are playing every day using technology and wanted you to hear what they think. Cause you know, I know one of them at least very well. Olympic gold medalist Hillary Knight of the USA women's ice hockey team, one of the leaders. She will definitely be in the Hall of Fame one day. You got to check her out. She's Red Bull athlete. She's super avid on all of the social channels, a superstar in my head. And professional soccer player, Ifoma Onomonu of the NWSL Sky Blue FC. Ify is a really interesting rising star, leading scorer on her team last year in the bubble. So both these women are here to talk about the importance of 
equal opportunities on the business side of sports, on the field of play. Again, they both led major initiatives, equal pay, equal play. This conversation, though, is again around the business and the opportunity that they see from their perspective. Look, they're the athletes. They're the ones that are getting pinged left and right from fans that want more, want more access, and they're trying to deliver on that. So excited to have both these amazing women on the show today. Kicking off the fanproject.co. We're going to go deep on that today, but let's welcome them to the Fluid Fan Podcast. Welcome back to the Fluid Fan Podcast. Very, very special day today. I get to interview a lot of leaders in the business of sports. Today, I get to interview some amazing athletes. Incredibly excited to have two phenomenal athletes in Hillary Knight, who's a star forward for the USA women's hockey team, and Ifoma Anumanu, who uh, you can call her Ify, also incredible forward for Sky Blue FC. You've seen them both play. We're going to have a really interesting conversation around their careers and what they see on the business side of sports. Welcome to the Fluid Fan Podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, thank you as well. All right. I, I love this. Three female athletes talking tech, talking sports, talking, you know, fandom at the end of the day. This podcast is all about uh, the business of sports and fandom. I'd love to start it for those that haven't seen you both play. Hillary. Our time goes back. We actually played on the same Olympic team together back in 2010. Since then, you've been a stellar breakout player, hockey hall of famer one day, for sure, in my opinion, with most recently a gold medal in Pyeongchang. Tell us a little bit about your career and perhaps a highlight. It might be the gold medal, but I don't know. Share with our listeners where you started and, uh, and again, a favorite moment so far in your very illustrious career. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I will keep our moments uh, confidential, but <laughs> please, I have respect on this podcast. Don't take it away from me. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I think um, probably our, our massive equitable support uh, battle that we accomplished in 2017. And I know I don't want to take away from any of the on ice successes that our teams had or the, the teams that I've been a part of because those have been phenomenal, but really. Uh, moving the needle in terms of equal pay for us. But then I think too now uh, focusing more on our professional leagues and what that terrain looks like moving forward. So you you already quickly went to team first. You want to change the sport, not just, you know, win gold medals, which is what I love about you. If you tell me about your career, you, you played for the under 23 U.S. women's national team, phenomenal player at Berkeley. And you've been living within the NWSL. Really curious to dive into the bubble. But first, um, walk me through, again, your career and uh, maybe, uh, again, one of your your favorite moments today as a football star, soccer star. Okay. So I guess, you know, Hillary said earlier when we were speaking that I started off at Boston. So that was my rookie season in NWSL. I think the league still has like a lot of room to grow, obviously. And unfortunately, with that team, it did fold. So from there, I got redistributed to Portland. And then after that, I went to Seattle, and or rather the rain. And then from there, I'm now at Sky Blue. So I have been around the league a little bit, I would say. I did a few national team youth camps, which were always fun. In terms of the highlight of my career, I would say that, you know, it's still to come. I think I've had so many moments in my career that have been great. But I would say that just watching sort of, you know, the full of the national team kind of make strides in women's sports has been amazing because I know when I was growing up, I didn't have those kind of role models. So that's been amazing to see and all the, you know, girls growing up playing football have so many people that they can look to. And, and then I think that's just for, for me, it just shows how much our league can grow from there and how much women's sports and women's football or soccer means to people. And so it gives me hope for the league as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe you can follow on. You don't just play for Sky Blue. You led in goals during the Challenge Cup. Um, we, we had a chance to talk to your GM, Elise LaHue, uh, a couple weeks back at our CES conversation. And we talked a bit about just the incredible ratings, social engagement, and National Women's Soccer League saw during the Challenge Cup in Utah, which obviously you're a big part of. I love your insights just as a player. You've, you're obviously fairly new to the league, but you've already been 
you've seen it from a lot of perspectives, different teams, different geographies. And you're also a bit younger, which I love because you have access to new social media tools, new ways to talk to consumers, new ways to really engage with your fans. What was it like in the bubble? Did you get a sense that there's a lot of fans that wanted your attention? What's it like being an athlete? Do you feel that sense of, uh, of, of fandom, you know, every day? Maybe, maybe not for me personally. I don't know. I feel like I get those like crazy, I quote unquote, like uh, fans and my engagement on social media is getting better. It could be better, but yeah, definitely. I think going into the bubble, I really appreciate what our GM said. I think for me, it was a really good year playing wise. It gave me a lot of opportunities to grow as well. And in the bubble, it was surprising to see how many people wanted to see us play. And I think that kind of goes back to accessibility. Before the bubble, our, our games were mostly on Twitch and exclusive internet sites. And I think that for a lot of people in terms of sports is not necessarily to watch it. Mm-hmm. And when it was put on CBS, which is a main sports site or a main site, we got far more engagement. And I think that shows that people want to watch women's soccer. People want to watch women's sports. It's just about sort of the accessibility of it. And, you know, even going back to social media, because we were confined to our rooms and confined to engaging on the internet, it just kind of gave us an opportunity and it gave people an incentive to sort of increase their engagement online, which then again shows that people are interested because when we're talking about women's sports, more people were engaged in it. Yeah. So I think the bubble in, in general was such a good thing for us. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Lisa Baird's done a great job, but some leagues weren't ready for COVID. And again, NWSL operated flawlessly. You saw those 500% increase in uh, in viewership. So congrats on that and whatever you did to, to keep your fans interested. From the bubble, Hill, you are, uh, um, you've seen women's hockey grow throughout your career. Most recently, the rivalry series with Canada last year, USA won. Thank you know, just congrats. And obviously, I was cheering for you. Record breaking crowd down in Anaheim, California, over uh, 13,000 fans at that game. You've seen a, a rise in demand for women's hockey, obviously peaking during the Olympics. But tell me a little bit about, again, your perspective. You've seen the sport change, you've seen the demand for women's sports change. Try to quantify that, you know, give us some context to uh, not just the numbers, but the feeling as an athlete and how you've leaned into that. And, and I know you're super active on your social to really engage with this new consumer, this, this next generation fan. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, what Efi said is accessibility, right? And understanding that you've got this amazing product. And for us, it's us on the ice and us as, you know, incredible athletes and connecting that with the fan and making it as easy as possible for people to connect with ice hockey, uh, whether we're on the ice or providing, you know, things off the ice. Um, accessibility is huge. And, you know, I, you mentioned it at Anaheim. I think originally there's only a certain allotment for tickets and uh, availability for seats, and they continued to open up seating um, just in the arena because the demand was there. And I think part of that was Anaheim took it under their wing, uh, the Anaheim Ducks organization, and they've got a phenomenal grassroots level. And they were able to market and get in touch with people who would be interested in watching ice hockey um, and specifically watching US and Canada. So it was really telling to finally be able to see your efforts, all of our efforts over, you know, decades long people before us, you know, the the caliber of hockey is there, the product is there. It's just how do we connect with these fans? And then also how do we introduce ice hockey to new fans? So Anaheim was extremely telling uh, from a player standpoint, it was rare for us to to play in front of that many home crowd fans because usually we're up in Canada and the the arenas are packed and it's awesome, but we're getting booed, right? So Mm -hmm. to be uh, able to see that growth just specifically in the U.S. in a non-traditional hockey market was extremely promising. Yeah, no, congrats on that. Obviously, I was cheering you on. Ify, so back to soccer, I'll never forget. I mean, we, we had this battle decades ago now, you know, I'll date myself, but I remember listening to the USA women's soccer team say that they battled their national governing body before the 99 world cup, because they only had 
to Hillary's point, there was a 5,000 seater arena. They, they pushed for opening up the Rose bowl. So he said, we're going to pack that thing. There's so much demand out here for, for the game, but it took the athletes standing up and saying, we think we can do better. Don't be beholden to the old model, the old way of doing business, the old, you know, status quo, let's just get through this tournament and move on. They said, no, we have a vision and we want you to come with us. And I'm sure you're in the middle of the soccer community, the symbol right now in women's sports for what's possible. And you, you continue to push the industry forward from your perspective, from the soccer perspective. Now, what is the opportunity that you see that, that the, the players talk about why you're pushing so hard at, at multiple levels, including NWSL to, to get more support and buy-in for, for the game? Um, yeah, that's a really good question. So kind of going back to that point of the the packing the stadium, it's all about sort of like investment. I always say to people, like there's an appeal to women's sports that I don't think the men have. Could I quantify it? Could I completely talk about it clearly? Probably not. But I think we can all agree that there's an appeal that women bring to sports that you can't find on the male. There's a special quality. And so even when I talk about, I suppose, when we say equal pay, I don't even really mean paying the athletes. I'm just asking for like equal investment. So I, I think we can all agree when we say we look, you say you look at the NBA and the NBA of today isn't the NBA that you always saw. There is investment put in it. And that's where they're able to be. The athletes are able to be paid what they're paid now. They're able to do like as a female athlete, it's though we don't work hard at our job. We don't train as hard as the men in, in such like that. But at the same time, you know, do we have, you know, the money to go get a massage every day like some of the men? Do we have, you know, the money to basically recover like the men? It takes the vision and fortitude right now, unfortunately, of athletes, of of influencers, of certain people out there that say, we believe we that there's a market out here. We believe there's a bigger mm-hmm. opportunity that fans, you know, and I'm just curious from your athlete perspective, why do you believe that? What are you seeing? And, you know, I'll get into how we're going to try to tackle that, but I'm just curious from a organic perspective, just, we all see it. Why can't everyone else? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, I see this every day. And even the moves these women make the field in terms of, I think, like their social media engagement and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and answering to fans and doing podcasts and doing other things. And I don't know why that appeal isn't there. And like, when I even think about the fact that for me, I went to a four year college, and I would say, like, probably, it's getting less and less because of the opportunities that are coming out. But, yeah. you know, the women in the league right now, I would say more than 50% been college and have a academic degree. You know what I mean? So these are like intelligent women. And so I think, you know, because of that, there is an appeal that just hasn't been necessarily tapped yet. Yeah. No, I, I obviously yeah. agree with you. And it's just always curious to hear from the athletes that are on the ground playing, you know, getting hit up by fans, like what, what's the potential? So we're on a mission right now to help answer that, to quantify that. Um, We've launched what we call the fan project. And the goal is to highlight this pent up demand for women's sports. What's the business case for women's sports through data. And I think what you were saying before is really interesting. If you like there's, and, and Hillary, there's, there's this demand you see and you feel and you can't quantify. And, and then it's hard for the business community to put their money behind it. Cause we all look at the typical metrics rating and say, Oh, it's only 4% or, but we actually think that metric is flawed because it only measures what you're viewing on TV. It's not capturing how you're spending your money, the likes and the retweets, all the ways that you're engaging with content or maybe creating content for the NWSL or the USA women's hockey team. You're There's all kinds of what we call fan behavior that if we could quantify, you could actually see a more holistic view of the fan. And I believe with that new way to look at fandom, we're going to see all kinds of pent up demand for women's sports, because again, we don't have the history, but we certainly have very deep fan base that wants more and needs to be accessible, right? I'd love to get both of your opinions on what you think needs to happen in order to expand the reach of these 
women's leagues and teams? What's besides the data that says, hey, there's a business opportunity here. What's it going to take to get the CBSs, the ESPNs to put more games on instead of just relying on these non-traditional Facebook, Twitch partnerships that are fantastic, but are just one piece of, of the puzzle? Yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of the the cash 22 that we deal with on a daily basis, right, is not having the metric to back up um, how we feel and what we know uh, we are in terms of if we want to put on our entrepreneur hats and take off our athlete hats for a second, but essentially to get these brands to invest, right, to get a legitimate platform and to get that seal of, hey, you know, these women are on, you know, the CBS or, you know, Fox or, NBC doesn't matter, right? And I think, you know, one of the things that we see on the Olympic side is, as you mentioned earlier, everyone sees us every four years, right? And how do we fill in that void between now and the next Olympics and the one after that and providing an asset that's, you know, available to be consumed by our fans? You know, as Ify said, there's something about it that it's this cult following that already exists. And those are just people who are going well out of their way in order to get introduced to the sport, to consume the sport, to mm-hmm. interact with the sport. And um, you think if, if a bigger brand or a, a larger network is able to come in and have the appropriate spend, a fair spend, essentially, mm-hmm. um, that would just catapult women's sports to a whole nother level um, mm-hmm. and also increase the fandom, increase players' platforms. And I think what, what, and I'm hoping you find, is the engagement is very different on the women's side. And our fans are more engaged than a traditional fan of just a, a male sport uh, or male athlete. And uh, that's why I think the project, the fan project you're doing is going to be outstanding. It's going to, it's going to move mountains for a lot of us, but um, until we have those metrics, it's a really hard sell um, because you're, you're essentially asking someone to take a leap of faith with you, even though we have the proven product of this product's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's ready. So well, you guys, but just piggybacking on that in Pyeongchang, you had three times the amount of viewers than the men's hockey team in spite of being aired at 11 p.m., the gold medal game. They re-aired it too. They re-aired it. And this is on NBC, major, obviously, network. It's accessible, maybe not in the time zone, but the re-airing. Obviously, everyone knows it was an epic shootout victory. I was behind the glass. You can see me pounding on the, the back of the goalie's head. But, you know, is that indicative, again, you know, if you build it, they will come. If, if it's on TV, you, you get more viewers. Simple as that. I believe so. I think um, the spend needs to be there, right? Um, And the investment. But if the Olympics proves anything, continuously, we're always left as an afterthought. I don't know if it's because of the team sport standpoint or we're prioritizing individual sport athletes. And I don't want to take anything away from those guys. But the viewership continues to demonstrate that the demand is there. And mm-hmm. now imagine if you created something, if we had a legitimate professional league to play in, what that would look like if we had the appropriate support behind us and the shared services. Mm-hmm. It's all about investment. We talk about innovation every day on this podcast. There's a return on investment, but there's an investment. So <laughs> can't, can't just expect to, uh, to drive dollars in day one. A lot of what you say is a capital expenditure to get something going, but you know, there's a return, there's an upside. Ify, Hillary mentioned partnerships, sponsorships that, you know, one thing I was super interested in is your Budweiser campaign last year at the NWSL, you know, Megan Rapino was sort of the, the point person on this, uh, who they select, but, you know, I think it was the future official watch. They add all kinds of these, you're the future official brand that could be a part of the NWSL. You were able to add six additional sponsors in a year, which is crazy going from th- three to nine overnight. Why do you think, again, there was such a, a huge increase overnight, literally, and also that these fans were actually so happy to have the support of these brands that they were retweeting, reposting Budweiser. They were, the fans weren't just saying like, great, we have sponsors. They were buying product in a way that you don't see on the men's side. They were talking about it in, in those brands in a way you don't see on the men's side, like what was that campaign about? And what are the, you know, what do the players think, you know, the reason behind it is? Uh, you know, it, it's funny. Even I wanted to say one thing though, going back to Hillary's point or even your point, when you said that there were more people watching the women's hockey as opposed to the men's, 
Um, you find that on the terms of soccer and for the national team, very curious thing. I just wanted to say that it, it is a very interesting point. So going back to, I guess, the sponsorships, I would say that for some reason, there's a familiarity with women, the women athletes that they don't have on the men's side, I think. I don't know if it's it's a it's a strictly American thing, but I, I do find that. So let's take the MLS, for example. They have quite a few international players. On the women's side, we do have international players, but we have more just Americans in the NWSL than we do internationals. On the men's side, I'm not sure if that's completely true. I guess the sense of familiarity with the people playing is what drives them to sort of want to be sort of like a part of that. So that's why like, oh, you know, XYZ is wearing, or, you know, the NWSL or XYZ drinks this. I want to drink this just like her. or I want to drink, I want to use this or she used a secret deodorant, like, oh, I want to smell like, you know, Pino, I want to smell like, you know, this person, you know, it's, it's kind of strange. But at the same time, I do find that, you know, I think that's part of the appeal is like this a familiarity or wanting to be closer, you know, to this. So are person. the are women more accessible to the average consumer? Is it that we're more engaged on social? Is it that we the women know they need to do more to service their fan? What what is like, hone in on that for me, Hill, if you want to jump in, like, why, why do we feel more familiar with female athletes than male athletes? No, it's interesting. It, as if he was saying, it was like, yeah, I, I know, like, you know, I watched NWSL and the way that the storylines are told, right. And these players do feel more relatable. And I don't know if it's because we kind of have to go through the same things or, uh, you know, the, the trajectory of a career is similar to um, a, a normal person per se, and not taking anything away from training or anything that we do, but I think we're more relatable and we do provide content that's more behind the scenes. And that does deliver the fan or the regular fan a little bit greater level of accessibility when we compare it to our male counterparts. So is that out of necessity or is that just simply women's sports recognizes that in order to connect in today's environment, that's digitally first and the, you know, we say athlete driven media where athletes are the content creators. Now athletes are the ones that have the best behind the scenes. Is it that we're just ahead of the curve out of necessity or create from a creative perspective? Is it that we're more nimble and that the athletes get it? And like, why will the men catch up and, or will women's sports not be as familiar as you mentioned in the future? I think it's a, it's a little bit of both, right? I think at the beginning, we have to be, uh, we have to have this platform on social media. We have to deliver this content because we're trying to, you know, seek, you know, a, a platform to be able to tell our stories, have athlete driven content, have some branded content individually. And then also too, I think maybe by chance or by mistake, because we've found this niche of how to tell our stories, we are aligned with whatever's going on in the world right now of brands wanting to attach to their consumers and understanding that women are willing to invest more in your brand if they feel more attached to it. Mm -hmm. And who the dollar spent is coming from in a daily household or the average household. I think by design, it wasn't necessarily laid out and we're like, we're going to do this. But I think out of necessity, we came to this bridge and now we're able to be more impactful from a brand standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I completely agree. I think you said exactly what I was going to say, which is, I think it's like a lucky mistake because as a female athlete or even in female sports at the, at the moment, you know, we are underinvested in. So then we have to give a little bit more of ourselves than the men do. Like they can just kind of post a casual picture about, you know, whatever, because automatically by being on the team that they're on, they are popular. <laughs> because they're good at this. Unfortunately for us, we kind of have to prove, we're always trying to prove, you know what I mean? That, you know, we're good at our sport or even like prove who we are as a person. I think because of that, we give more of ourselves and because we give more of ourselves, they know more about us and they more and more about us. They become more familiar with us. They want to know more and more and more. Could it potentially be a double-edged sword? <laughs> I don't know, uh, which is very interesting because I'm like, okay, now we're getting like really invasive you know, when we're talking about getting to know more, of, like, why do we always have to give more of ourselves as compared to the men? Why can't we just be good at our support and that be enough, you know? 
but at the same time like because of the way that we sort of have to behave by necessity at the moment it has provided us with more visibility especially in the age of social media where you know privacy is a luxury mm-hmm. well no i think d- double-edged sword but on the positive side at sports innovation lab we're always talking about look we can grow the pie for everyone we want we advise leagues and teams to create more what we call athlete driven media enable fans to have more access access is the key point here to their athletes who are at the end of the game have exponentially more followers exponentially more reach than the teams and leagues themselves and technology is the thing that's actually enabling athletes to create new forms of media engage at a higher level to your point, if you, maybe we're doing this, female athletes are doing this just to build their own brand, their own platform, because the leagues or the teams aren't providing the same level of exposure that the traditional men's side is. But as you do this, you're actually creating more authenticity, more relatability to these brands. And, and again, the opportunity for brands to see that, which is what we're trying to do with the fan project, is to quantify that will hopefully enable more partnerships, more investment, so that you can measure not just reach, which is the t- typical metrics have, but depth. Like these fans are avid. They love you. We talk a lot about fluid fans, right? These casual fans, but there's a lot of like avid or diehard fans in women's sports that don't get captured because all they're looking at is linear. And you guys are in a pole position really, because you, you're already in the habit of providing that depth, providing that, that kind of exposure. Are there tools? I want to say something, sorry. I want to say something to your point about, so when I say, I guess, double-edged sword, this is just like a side note. I think what tends to then happen is because you know so much about me or you know so much about this person, you forget who I play for, which is, I guess, the end game. It's like, I want you to know about the league. I want you to know about my team. I want you to know this. But like, if you know me as a, which I would love, I want you to know me as a player, but I want you to know me as a player and I want you to know my team as well. So I think, what I don't want to happen in general, because we do individually give so much of ourselves in, in, in different spaces is that you kind of forget about exactly that. Like, this is it. This is at the end of the day, it's the female athlete and she's, she wants you to watch her sport. And so I think that, you know, although it's good, we each individually, like, I'm like, go for your, your brand, go for your sponsorship, like absolutely do that. But I don't want to call it a problem, but what I don't want to happen is that you know, you forget that essentially the league or the team is what you're trying to promote as well. Yeah, no, I mean, a core tenet of fluid fandom is that you follow teams, not leagues or athletes. So it's a problem for some teams we've heard. They build up their star and then their star leaves or gets traded. Kind of some of that brand equity that you've invested in goes with them. But it's the reality of sports now. Again, Hill, your point, maybe you want to expand on it. It's like, I want to know you, Hillary. I don't, I like your team. I like your league, but I want to know you and I'm invested in you and I'm going to go deeper with you. And brands are going to see that too. They're going to want to align with leagues and or athletes that they know and understand and align with the brands that they represent, you know, who they are. Is that how you guys are going about your sponsorship? Just as a side note, you're looking for individual sponsors. I'd say increasingly, it's not just about who can pay, cut me a check, but what do you represent as a brand? Are you aligned with who I am as a, as an athlete? Absolutely. I think the, and, and that's what makes us so valuable as female athletes. I think it's the authenticity that we spoke about. And then also just that organic following, right. And making sure that, you know, what I'm putting out there, I'm also aligning with brands and companies that I feel deeply aligned with. And that makes sense, Um, not just because of a a dollar sense, but because of a mission and purpose sense. Um, And I think that comes through. And I think that comes through with the following. And in the give and take for that is, yes, it it is an investment uh, for their brand to increase visibility. But on the flip side, now, you know, hockey is being introduced with, for example, one of my sponsors, Red Bull, right, in all of their athletes. So it's an interesting crossover and mingling, so to speak, that we can continue to do from an individual standpoint, as long as they align with, I think, what we're, what our heart beats to and, and how we're trying to provide our content to our fans. How about you, Ify? You've, uh You're an up-and-coming star at the NWSL. I'm sure no one's going to turn away sponsors, but how are you thinking about 
aligning yourself with the right brands, with the right kind of messaging that, you know, reflects who you are as a person, as well as an athlete. Yeah. That's something that I have thought about because obviously with everything that's happened, brands want to kind of jump on and, you know, be a part of what you, what you're creating. And for me is my, I guess my role is I will never promote something I don't use or I don't like eat. So like, for example, like I'm vegan, like I want to make sure like the things that I'm doing are, you know, or the things that I'm promoting align with, with who I am in my outgoing message. So it doesn't matter to me how much you are offering me, how much you're offering to give me. Like, I don't care if I'm not using it. I'm not going to put on my social media, like, Hey guys, like buy this. Like, it's great. Like I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I hope thing is there are people who do that. Like, but I, I would not do that because I honestly, I, I couldn't bring myself to, you know, start to promote or talk, you know, about something I really know nothing about if I'm not using it. So it, it is really important to me to kind of stay on message and stay in and continue to be who I am. Mm. Um, That's what we're hearing across the board before it was just whoever's going to cut me the check. And now authenticity is key across everything chance to give a shout out hill you mentioned red bull are there brands out there or media platforms that are doing something for women's sports you want to give them some love right now whether they're a sponsor of you or a league or a platform that's taking a bet and in creating again more visibility in women's sports in general ify hill any any thoughts there oh man this is like a long list now <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll shout out the Black Women's Player Collective, um, which I'm I am a part of, and it's supposed to empower, you know, female athletes of color, particularly. And I think obviously everything that happened in 2012, it's been really important to kind of, you know, push that message ongoing, you know, not just when a situation happens, but actually have a group together in where we are always trying to empower people of color, women of color, women of color in sports and stuff like that. So I do want to shout out BWPC. For that and then currently as well who's doing a lot in women's sports is voice in sport which is a platform um, that offers mentorship to um, young female athletes because they have noticed that you know the drop off from you know age I think eight to 14 significantly female athletes drop out of sport and they're trying to address those issues in terms of sort of like confidence and just body health body image issues and stuff like that and address those at a young age so that it kind of limits the drop off in women's sport due to those issues. Um, so yes, shout out to voice and sport for that. <laughs> Talk to those guys. They're part of the, the fan project. So we're, we'll make sure to let them know if you're giving them some love. What about you, Hill? Was there a brand or a platform yeah. that that's doing, doing more and has the vision? Yeah. You know, I think uh, one that came top of mind was uh, Luna, Luna bar, right. And the cliff family, but I'm looking a lot to the NWSL and the U.S. Women's National Team and the soccer, football, correct me, <laughs> American. But, you know, and looking at those brands and, and the Budweiser's and um, whatnot. But, you know, I mentioned Red Bull earlier, just as it's an individual one, but just as an example of how a non-traditional brand fits with um, a traditional sport, so to speak. But no, I think, um, you know, different media platforms, different women-centered platforms, Just Women Sports is one that I've been working with more closely recently and being able to just tell others other stories and provide content that um, is easily consumed by people who might not necessarily be introduced to a specific sport. Yeah, a lot of platforms. Um, we're very proud to have leagues like the NWSL, WNBA, we've got WWE, we're going to have UFC, LPGA. Women's Sports Foundation, Tucker Center, whole host. If you want to find out, obviously, more on all the partners we have for the fan project, go to the website, check it out. It takes a team. I, if anything I learned as an athlete and why I love that I got to play a team sport athlete is you can't, can't change the conversation overnight. It takes everyone individually and collectively to keep that message. I'm out with the fan project and all of our partners. And you two today is to educate the market on the opportunity that we are not measuring the right things. There is absolutely f demand out there. We want to increase the supply. We want to show that there's a market, that there's a financial opportunity. Yes, it's the right thing to do. That's not what this is all about. This is about the business. The business of women's sports hasn't been invested in. Can we 
measure that? Can we come up with a new way to think about the complete fan that is doing a lot, that has depth, that has, again, the engagement that you both see every single day. If there's one thing you want us to look at, measure that you think like these fans are avid and they're crazy and this is what I've seen. Is there any examples that that you, um, Ify or Hillary might have that we should be looking at? Because again, we're trying to redefine measurement. We're trying to redefine what it means to be a fan. And a lot of that, again, isn't captured in simply viewership. Is there something that that you want us to look for or that you're noticing from your perspective that, man, these fans are crazy. I should, if we could just look at that data source, if we could look at that number would again, build the business case for women's sports. Yeah. I think simply, I think the engagement, right. Um, I think it's easy to turn on the TV for hours on end and sometimes people aren't even watching and you get that. Are you still watching thing? Um, but no, I think, um, really diving in, especially on the women's side. And once you get all, all the data points and whatnot is to figure out fan engagement and um, how pivotal that is, I think, on the women's side in comparison to the men's. If you, anything uh, we should be looking at? Uh, I would say probably, I think I've, I've used the, the U.S. national team for soccer uh, as an example, but I think they're like the, basically the perfect case, you know, looking at their Instagram following their their engagement on Instagram viewership when they always have when they have a game I feel like those in and of itself is enough to show that you know women's sports is worth investing in in a long-term thing just on a business scale like just kind of the model that they have sort of laid out is a perfect example to show that you know before maybe without our initial investments this wouldn't be possible but when we start shaping it like that even with, I would say, I don't know how many people do this, but clicking on to see what people are even wearing. Like, I find that, you know, when you, when you see like your favorite athlete or something wearing something, you're like, oh, what is that? What are they wearing? And I think, you know, even show like, even like, I don't know if you can track this, but like how, like when you go online and then you need to see if you can find whatever this person's wearing, I think, you know, those are perfect examples to show that there will be a return on investment when you really dig down and, you know, see how much women are actually influencing you know, society as a whole, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Purchasing decisions. I couldn't agree more. That doesn't get captured in a linear viewership feed, but certainly you're influencers, you're changing pop culture, you're influencing what people wear, how they talk, how they, you know, act. And again, Sports Innovation Lab has studied the fan for four years, fan behaviors. So we've broken apart fan engagement. We're going to be measuring that. I'm so excited. Hillary Knight, USA Hockey, Ifomo Anamonu from Sky Blue FC, both phenomenal athletes uh, in their own right. You're on the forefront of, again, the crescendo of change that we're seeing, societal change. They want more women's sports. They want more women leaders. They want to see themselves in you. They want more visibility at the end of the day. They want a bigger platform. Society, consumers, fans, whatever you want to call them, is demanding more. We're out to measure that. Before we go, since this is a nerdy tech podcast, what are the platforms you guys are using? How are you can, you know, I'm on TikTok, but I just stalk people. I don't, I haven't created a video yet. What are the tech platforms you guys are into right now using that, you know, um, and maybe how that has shifted over, over your, uh, your career? Right now, I agree with you. TikTok is an addiction. <laughs> you maybe didn't say that, but I don't post anything currently, but there is a potential for TikTok. I think people are moving away. At least I can say for myself, I spend a lot more time on TikTok than I do on Instagram. Uh, so I think there is a lot of potential in TikTok. And that just honestly came about over this pandemic situation. <laughs> That's when I first got it. And I haven't left it still. Instagram still use, Twitter still use. So those are kind of the the platforms that are sort of in which I engage in currently. Yeah. Hillary, you're you've got quite a few, 154,000 Instagram. I see you're on TikTok. You got some followers getting there. I'm like new to TikTok. So I was like, I don't really know how to do all this dance (laughs) stuff. And I don't want to be another one of those terrible dancers on the platform, but no, I definitely, I'm on there. I think um, to Efi's point a little bit more than Instagram in some ways, but no, I think it's just how far we've come. And since you told me to get a Twitter account and I was like, how much I, I did Facebook. for the record, 
Hillary, just so you guys don't know this, Hillary was like a rookie back in the day when I was the vet. And she has recently, 2019 World Championships, surpassed me, became the all-time leader in games played for USA. You played your 51st game against Russia. So you're you're the veteran now. And how far has the world come? You You got on Twitter now. You're off Twitter? No, I'm still a little bit, but I'm more so on Instagram and TikTok and um, exploring other things. But I think, you know, it's just, there's so much out there and it's just mm-hmm. a vast new landscape of social media. And so it's um, at times you got to kind of reel it back in, but no, it's, it's a whole new terrain for many athletes. And it's an incredible way for us to connect with other people around the world. All right. Parting thoughts, any uh, last points you want to make the business of women's sports, the opportunity Again, I want to promote the fan project to make sure fans or business leaders out there that want to do more, here's a direct way you can do that. What's a wish you want to see in the the women's sports community now or in the future? Because, you know, if you're not going to play forever, he'll, you know, hopefully you will, but I know you won't. What, where do you want this to go? What's What's your wish for the industry? I would say, honestly, short-term wish, I guess, would be that we get on a streaming platform or a station for a long-term, like, and we have a slot in which everyone knows this is when we play our games and our games will be played. That is, I hope. That seems so simple. Just it it does. Let let our fans know where we're going to be so they can watch, like. (laughs) Not, not, that's not like a crazy wish. That's like, that's like real. Let's just do that. People. (laughs) You would, that's why I said short term. Like you would think that's simple, but apparently it's not as simple as I, I think it is, but that is my, that's my wish. And for, I guess, long-term, I just want the league to grow, expand and more investment in the teams and in the athletes. And so that could be short-term too. Um, But I do want that in the long run product. I got, I hear you. Help, short-term, long-term wishes, vision. Look, I have nothing to add to that. Everything you just <laughs> I <said>. love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's about access, but maybe it's just, let's just market where the hell we are better. And so everyone knows and get that long-term contract so it's stable and we know where we're going to be, but continue to evolve and iterate. Nothing to add, Hill? Come on, you got some. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's silly, but I think just having consistency of schedule and having mm-hmm. a platform that continues to deliver the sport people tune in to go see, right? In addition, I think just having more brand partnerships and sponsorships that hop on board and and in some ways add more legitimacy uh, to the naysayers out there, but then also invest in these programs and invest in these athletes. And I think, you know, we're going to, we're going to see sports just have an awesome trajectory long-term, especially on the women's side. We have a lot of catch up to do, but you know, with anything, it takes that original investment to get us where we need to be. Tech democratizes access. It's why we're talking today. To me, it's the future for sports in general, but particularly accelerating accessibility, adoption, and ultimately giving more platforms for both of you. So thank you both for coming on the Fluid Fan Podcast today, sharing your firsthand experience and good luck training. It's crazy. We didn't even get into that. We didn't even get into the on the field stuff because other people talk about that. And I know you're both going to crush it, but I wish you Sincerely, the best of luck training. Thank you again for coming on and uh, best of luck in your seasons. Thank you. Thanks again to Hillary Knight and Ify Anamanu for coming on the show today, offering your athletes perspective on how the industry needs to create more equal business opportunities for women's sports, for your insights on the technology you're using on, you know, just fandom in general and I wish you both, honestly, the best of luck. It must be crazy training right now as an athlete. I can't imagine not having fans in the stands, having to train on your own for so long, not having the same frequency of competition. It's a grind. So keep it up, both of you. Bright futures ahead. If you want to find Hillary, go to at Hillary Knight. That's one L-H-I-L-A-R-Y Knight. And you can follow Ify on Instagram at IFY underscore two, two, and on Twitter at IFY underscore on two, two. If you listen to this podcast, if you really like what we're doing with the fan project would encourage you to 
go on to our website, thefanproject.co, submit your social media data, help us out. Again, it might just be an interesting exercise, but what we really believe is if we can look at fan data, if we can augment that with financial data, purchasing data, we can look at obviously linear viewership, pull that very important data stream into this. If we can look at other data sources, again, our goal is to create a holistic picture of the fluid fan who isn't just watching, who's doing. If you've listened to any of my podcasts, it's about fan behavior and fan engagement, which means everything and nothing. We are actually going to apply that thinking now to measuring. We want to measure that this year. And so the fan project is our first attempt to do that well, but point it towards a part of the industry that is absolutely underserved. If we can see the demand, if we can measure the demand, quantify the demand, then it isn't, again, me or some other women's athletes saying, oh, it's the right thing to do. And it's our social responsibility budget. No, this is like business people. This is a business opportunity. And I want to try to prove that with these groups. Data doesn't lie. Hopefully it ends up where I think it's going to end up. We don't know. We'll see. We'll launch that report later in the year. But if you're interested again, and you want to learn more, email us at the fan project at sports the fan project at sports You can learn more, partner with us, support us, throw in some gear that we can give away to people. We can, you know, you want to host something, you got an athlete, you are an athlete. Again, the more the merrier. We want everyone involved in this. So hopefully you enjoyed the show. I want to close by thanking my producer, Jack Barlow, as well as my entire team at Sports Innovation Lab. You guys rock. I'm super proud of us for this latest initiative, the fan project, which hopefully will shape sports forever. And again, we are all about data-driven decisions, whether that's our team innovation index that we came out with last month on the top 25 most innovative teams, whether that's our power play index, which I've talked about in the past, where we actually, with data, rank the technologies or our latest focus, again, the fan project, which is let's look at the fans, let's measure fandom and show how there's new segments, new areas, new behaviors that we should build against and support. Again, let's get that supply and demand curve matched, not what we think, let's really understand. And that's our job at Sports Innovation Lab. So thanks for my team. For all the work you guys do, if you love what we're doing on the podcast or in general, subscribe to our show. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, everywhere you want to be. We're there at Sports iLab. Check me out at Angela Ruggiero. Tell me who you want to see next. Just say thanks. Give me five stars. We'll send the love back if I can. Until next time, thanks for listening.